0: Welcome to the Indigo Podcast, an exploration of human flourishing at work and beyond. I'm Ben Barron of Indigo Anchor and Cleveland State University. And I'm
1: Chris Everett of Indigo Anchor. For more information, please visit us at www.indigopodcast.com. Hey, Chris, who are you? Um... Well, uh I went to uh, high school and after that I went to college. I got my undergrad degree in sacred music actually. Um then I had various jobs. I moved to Nashville. Yeah. I, I got uh,
0: So you're telling me about like your life history and your education. But that's not who you are. Who are you? <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh yeah. So uh this is about who I am outside of work, right? Right. So at your fundamental core, who is Chris Everett? I am a sack of intercellular fluid. <laughs> <laughs> Deep inside
0: there's okay. blood. <laughs> yeah, so keep 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 going. Uh I Ben, why don't you start off? <laughs> so who am I? Well, I, there are many ways to think about that, and I mean, I can think about myself as a thirty-nine-year-old married man, father of four, practicing Roman Catholic, uh, professor, consultant, podcaster, Navy officer. Those are a handful of things.
1: Cool. Um, I'm also a sack of cellular, whatever you said. Yeah, I don't. I don't really know the. Um... Physiological <laughs> vocabulary. Let's just say that you're not a medical doctor. <laughs> Do not go <laughs> to with your ailments. That's right. i are going to tell you to drink water and take a knee. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah.
0: So, but today we're talking about this very fundamental question of who we are. And we're talking about it beyond. What do you do? Right. That's the question that oftentimes people ask each other and how you can develop an identity outside of work and how that's a really important thing to do, how it's helpful and what that kind of looks like.
1: Right. So. um, So what is your identity? What's it important? Why is it important? Uh, work Identity and the Benefits of a More Complex Identity, and Developing a Balanced You. Right. This is such an important, such a seminal topic, I think, uh,
0: that we just really want to address. And the Indigo podcast is really about human flourishing at work and beyond, you know. And, of course, work and non-work are very closely intertwined aspects of who we are. But if we're going to flourish in life, then we need to pay attention to that full spectrum, so to speak, of human flourishing. And today is probably a little bit more on the beyond side of the spectrum, a little bit less work, even though it, it's, there's you know, some overlap there, of course, and we'll talk about that, but a little bit more on the beyond side, yet so fundamental to how we see ourselves and to how we can flourish in this life.
1: Yeah. Special thanks to our listener, Tom. Um, Who said, hey, I love the show, but you've mainly focused on work flourishing and that that kind of thing. What about some just individual flourishing? So Mm -hmm. this episode is uh, for you. Um, But first, a little housekeeping. We're starting to do video. Yay! Yay. So um, we'd love it if you haven't connected with us and like our content. If you could like us on Facebook. So that's facebook.com forward slash the Indigo podcast. So we're going to start doing a lot more of that type of video. Um, our biggest community right now is on Facebook and actually Ben's old YouTube channel. <laughs> so, So at least for now, that's a great way for you guys to keep in touch if you want to see some of our video endeavors. So also subscribe to the Indigo Together channel on YouTube, which you can go to our IndigoTogether.com and get all of those links if you need them. That's IndigoTogether.com for any of our social um, links. You know, we're on Twitter and all that stuff. We're we're not on Instagram. I'm kind of resisting. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but for the video stuff, so we've got some good video equipment. We've made our offices not look like cesspools um so to our wives rejoice (laughs) yeah yeah but um check us out there check us out there we're gonna do content that's not available here on the podcast over there this is including some live events where you guys can ask us questions uh directly and uh any of that kind of interaction so we're really excited should be cool
0: And if nothing else, you can just tune in and you can watch us talk about stuff and you can laugh either with us or laugh at us. We really don't care. Um, It'll be fun. So, you know, another thing that we just like to remind you is please continue to tell your friends about us. We know a lot of you do, but uh, please do that. Please also give us a five-star rating if you think we deserve it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Uh, Write a review. Um, All of that really helps us in the rankings and helps us get out there to a broader audience. Please also contact us at indigotogether.com slash contact. Again, that's indigotogether.com slash contact with ideas, suggestions, questions,
1: whatever. We'd love to hear from you. Right. You know, this is Indigo, Ben and Chris. No, (laughs) it's uh, Indigo Together, and your participation has helped make this content relevant and you know like this episode today for Tom. So please reach out, we actually write back. It may take us a little bit, but we we really do. So thank you for that. So anyway, back to your identity and why is it important?
0: Right. So we talked about, you know, as we were opening this episode, who are you? And this fundamental question that that we Oftentimes, you know, think about, or maybe we don't think about it too much. But even if we don't think about it, it, is it is really important for us to think about how we view ourselves and what that entails. And there's a you know number of different elements of one's identity, and we'll talk about what that means. Uh, you know, but we we already kind of mentioned it a little bit when when you think about that question, uh, who are you? Uh, oftentimes, we come up with different descriptive. Aspects, maybe you know, kind of demographical types of uh, data. You know, maybe your age or your gender or your marital status and your kids, whatever things like that. Um, oftentimes, there's something in there about one's occupation, different types of groups, maybe that you're a part of, and those types of aspects of our lives, and all of these kind of intersect to create this this idea that we carry around either consciously or or subconsciously about who we are, and we call that our identity. And, uh, you know, it's really interesting if you want to do a deep dive into different ways to think about identity and how we as humans construct our identity. Uh, I, we have some some great articles for you to check out. One of them... Uh, is in uh, the Annual Review of Sociology, and this is a, an article from back in 1997, but it's called Identity Construction, New Issues, New Directions, and it kind of goes through the theoretical aspects of, of how humans do this and how scholars think about it. And there's another article, though, that we're going to talk about that I, I think is is very helpful as well, which talks more about identity work in organizations and occupations, and we're going to talk more specifically about that, that comes from the Journal of Organizational Behavior. And that was just published a couple of years ago. So we'll, we're going to talk through some of those aspects, but you know, this, this piece of identity, it's really, really interesting and important. And it changes uh, to some degree as you go through life and as you think about it
1: more and have more experiences. Right. So whether you like it or not, you go through developmental milestones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, I, but most people don't just think about this very purposely. It's, oh, yeah, you know, I grew up, you know, I, you know, I was born at a very young age. I grew up, I, I surmounted these gauntlets and then fought my way to where I am now. But we know about developmental milestones. Like we know if a child hasn't started to speak by a certain age, Something's amiss. Mm-hmm. We know that reading is a unnatural uh skill that has to be curated and developed. Um, same thing with our identity, how we see the difference between ourselves and others and who we are right and I think if you if a person has not
0: gone through or purposefully thought through some of these identity issues it can open oneself up to some risks later on when, when things go wrong. And we'll talk about that and kind of why this is important, right? So, but maybe we should talk about some of these fundamental ways in which we can think about identity. Uh, and this, again, comes from this this article in the Journal of Organizational Behavior from 20, 2018. And it talks about kind of these these different perspectives on identity from a work perspective, and uh, a few of the, the kind of dominant ways that we think about this. Uh, so the first one, and this is actually one that I'm most familiar with because I've I've used this in some of my own research and, and some of my own writing. This is what we call social identity theory. And social identity theory is really interesting because it helps us think about how we think about ourselves uh, with regard to different types of group membership, right? So we we oftentimes position ourselves you know, in terms of groups that we are part of and groups that we are not part of. You know, maybe, you know, so for example, uh, you know, in this part of the country, uh, maybe one kind of Somewhat trivial, some people would not think it's trivial, but one one uh distinction someone might make is whether or not you are a fan of the of the Pittsburgh Steelers or a fan of the Cleveland Browns right now, <laughs> I would argue that it's probably much easier to be a, a fan of the Pittsburgh Steelers because they're generally a lot better but um you know that's that is a group that is a way in which people identify themselves. it's a way in which people um, associate with others. It's how they see other people as well. Uh, and there are all kinds of other ways, other types of groups that we do this with.
1: Yeah, but I just want to unpack that you said it would be easier to be the fan. And by the way, I don't care about sports ball. I will, <laughs> I will drink ball. with you at any sporting event. <laughs> it, if I'm not buying the beer, <laughs> I'll come put on your shirt and root for your team. Yeah. But um, yeah. So I had a roommate that that loved the Saints. He's from. Brian, if you're listening, just got to dime this out here a little bit. But um, he was a big fan of the Saints for forever. He lived in Louisiana forever. He was a fan of the Saints back you're, when you're
0: talking and you're talking about the New Orleans Saints, not actual canonized people.
1: Yeah. Yes. We're not talking about St. Peter and Paul, <laughs> yeah, <you> Catholic numbskull. <laughs> but anyway, he was a fan of the Saints back when everybody's highlight videos and insane feats of foot, you know, 120 yard run, which it's only 100 yards, but like they were all against his team. Right. And this guy would get so mad. He would slit. Thankfully, also liked LSU, which would win sometimes. And the I'm not even into sports ball, and I know this. Why? Because Brian kept me informed. Mm-hmm. But, uh, this idea, and then apparently, I think some years back the Saints finally won a Super Bowl, and I, I don't, I don't think it was one of those narratives. The curse has been broken, type thing. Yeah, but you're like, oh, it's a bit easier to be a fan of a winning team, and that speaks to some of those identities of like, oh, I, I'm a winner by proxy, or mm-hmm. you know, it's my identity is with a really good team, or versus poor Brian had to be, you know. He was with the underdog, and you know, I was like, "Man, if you're going to be mad for a few days, you can't you can't pick a team that's this horrible. It's well, it's bad for you, <laughs> right? Well, and it's interesting too. With sport, I think sports are an interesting example because,
0: first of all, you know, you're you're an exception. A lot of people are really into sports, and um, I w- I would wager um, at least in the United States. Um, but Wait, are you are you into sports? Uh, college basketball is is probably the the thing I follow, but professional sports, I mean, I I keep up with it enough to make conversation with other men.
1: Um, But (laughs) uh, (laughs) 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 That was probably the most metrosexual thing said on this episode. (laughs) (laughs) What's what's interesting
0: is that, is that, it's true. So it's really interesting when people, when people talk about their sports team, you can listen to the pronouns. Oftentimes they, they say we, instead of they, it's like, it's like they're on the field, you know? Well, we, we've got to do this. We did well last week. We've got to do better. You know, and they don't, they aren't formally associated with the sports organization. You know, they're not being paid by the organization. They don't, but but they they have this identity, and, and you know obviously this goes way beyond sports. It goes into um, religious dom- denominations. It goes into political parties. It yeah, goes re- into... identity
1: politics. Yeah, it, is it, coined it, from this. And and I forget what the article was or what this was in an interview, but something's like all politics are identity politics mm. because it's it's about like. And this is that kind of thing, or it's a personification of your thoughts and perceptions. Right. Right. Right.
0: And what we're trying to do there as humans, you know, we, and you could make an evolutionary psychology argument probably here that, you know, back in the day before we were in, before the population was larger and we lived in, you know, large groups and so forth, we lived in small groups, small tribes. And we really, it was very important to know which group you were part of are you an in you know are you in this group or out of this group for safety reasons and what we tend to do now in modern civilization is we use these groups to help to you know give ourselves a sense of distinctiveness as well as a sense of belongingness we like to feel like we belong yet we also like to be distinctive and you know that's kind of the the definition of kind of inclusion within a group right if you can be distinctive but also feel belonging you know, it's interesting when we're thinking about the sports fans, you know, there's there's also some some pleasure, I think, that some people get by being maybe the only person who is a fan of a certain sports team, you know, because I could be distinctive about that. Um, but we we take we, we take aff- we make efforts to try to kind of enhance um, or engage in this kind of. Work to maintain our identity. You know, we we wear things that signify, for example, our affiliation with a sports team or a university or a job or, or different things like that. Um, and and these become important to us. Uh, if you look at kind of a a Venn diagram of all the different groups that you're part of, you know. Um, that kind of starts to tell you something about a person to some degree. And this is the social identity theory idea. So we can move on from there unless you have something.
1: No, it's like, so I love it because it's the, the difference between distinctiveness and belongingness. And I think I saw this so acutely starting in basic training in the Army and then even moving throughout my career. So everybody wears the same daggone uniform in the Army. Mm-hmm. Right. But the way you bend your cap (laughs) or the wrinkles you put in it, it's like, man, that guy has a sweet looking cover. You know, we call Mm -hmm. a hat a cover. Uh, And so everybody... You know, and at, at basic training, you'd see like guys would try to wear a rubber band around their wrist or something like anything to say I am my own person. While you're like <laughs> the drill sergeants are resistance is futile. You will be assimilated, right? <laughs> or um, they and they abandoned that uh slogan that market. You know, be an army of one. And I remember it's like, yeah, you'll join the army one by one, but then you're gonna be like everybody else, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, you know, and a couple other different ways that we can think about identity. So, you know, one of them just has to do with the roles that we're in. And, you know, the the different, you know, I am like different roles, for example, might be I am a parent, I am a spouse, I am a teammate. Those types of roles, right? I am a manager, I am an executive. All those different roles that we have in our lives also play a part in our identity formation. And, you know, these um When we have multiple roles, when we have new roles, that can start to change how we see ourselves, our identity, and uh, aligning with those different uh, roles, aligning with those, maybe those expectations and so forth, that helps to kind of go through this process of what we call self-verification. You know, am I fulfilling this different
1: role and how do I fit in with regard to other people around me? I mean, this is a whole genre and literature of coming-of-age stories. Mm. It's, you know, you're kind of a kid, you're kind of rough around the edges, and you go through an experience that helps you step into these adult roles. Right. Well, well what's an adult role? Right? We have all those social-specific expectations tied within within that. So, you know...
0: Yeah. Right. I, a lot of these, I mean, these expectations and these roles are are highly socially constructed. You know, so, for example, you know, what does it mean to be a father? I mean, that to some people, they have a very distinctive type of um, idea there. Um, others may have a, a, a different idea. But, but the, the point is that there's no there's no authoritative necessarily. Um, you know, this is how you must do this. Exactly. Right. There's there's variation. Uh, another way we can think about identity is. Um, what we call narrative, uh, the narrative theories, and and kind of thinking about our own personal identities and thinking about your own life history, what that all means, and how does that all fit together? You know, what are the common threads across your life that make you who you are? And I think sometimes you know we may think about this as we're as we're growing up or going through these milestones, these you know perhaps these uh, these transition points. You know, when you graduate high school, when you graduate college, when you get your first job. Uh, but what's interesting is I think that, you know, you, you continue to evolve over time, but sometimes we don't give these things much thought once we are, you know, moving into middle age. Um, but I think it's still helpful to do that, to, to be thinking about how am I constructing this idea of who I am and is it really
1: who I want to be? Right. And the whole idea around, and I don't know if this is the right term in this case, but cognitive dissonance, Hmm. you know? i um, talking to um, this guy, uh, C. Uh, well, he's another Chris um, down in uh, Auburn. Um, I think that's where he's living now. Anyway, uh, you know, talking about early in his life. And he's like, you know, I just kind of wake up and, and do do whatever. But now mm-hmm. he's, like, really engaged in reading, self-development, growth. He's thinking about his narrative, where he wants to go. And so these come up for different people at different times. And then lots of times the narrative um, is inconsistent. Mm. You know, you start right. asking, it's like, well, w- well wait a minute. And we can have those kinds of blind spots, but we have these stories of who we are, and then we update them as we go through life, Right. Right. You know, and sometimes it requires some
0: conversation with another person to really figure these things out because sometimes we can be we, – we are not
1: necessarily the best judges sometimes of our own behavior. Yeah, <laughs> we, definitely. You know, our brain's right. a jalopy, it it plays tricks on us all the time.
0: Yeah, but for but for helpful reasons sometimes, right? Because we actually – some of it's for self-preservation purposes. But anyway, yeah. that's – that's another another story. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I guess going back to... So we've, we're talking about this, this identity formation. Um, A big component of this is occupation. You think about, you know, when you're talking with someone or you're getting to know someone, you know, at some point in that conversation, what do you do oftentimes comes up. Not always, but it oftentimes comes up. There's some conversation about kind of what you do. And at least for a lot of people... How what you do occupationally for your job um, can be a big component of how you
1: see yourself, but that's that's a mixed bag, right? Yeah, so that's one thing that I really enjoy about moving. At least in Nashville, people would generally ask, "What? What do you? Oh, so what do you do? What, mm-hmm. You know that kind of oh fancy, you know, type thing." And uh, you know, out here in Park City, people would be like, "Hey, man, so what do you do?" And the answer is like, "Oh, I'm a big skier." I'm a mountain biker. You know, there's a just a deliberate... That's one of the social norms out here is a deliberate avoidance about occupational-related identities, which...
0: Yeah, it's because you're a bunch of ski bums. Yeah, <laughs> that's
1: true. Yeah, it's because you're a bunch of
0: lazy trust fund <laughs> ski bums
1: who just... Wait a minute, I get a trust fund? <laughs> I gotta go tell whoever's supposed to give me one. <laughs> they had... <laughs> <laughs> Where's mine? <laughs> that's right. um, think about stuff like the car you drive and all that right. kind of stuff.
0: Um, I mean, these are all ways in which we try to conform with some sort of role, some sort of expectation that's usually externally driven, right? It, it, it's, it's how we see ourselves in relation to others, how we try to fit in, how we try to keep up with other people, what types of groups we want to be seen as a part of and not part of another group. These uh, we we make all of these decisions and we oftentimes I don't think think about
1: it honestly. Right. And, you know, some of that's just, you know, if you're not deliberate with this, you'll just end up where you're found. Yeah. Right. So. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, we talk about this being for a sense of self-worth or esteem. We talk about it being your Um, well-being. This determines who you'll choose or choose not to associate with. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's two other questions that I think are really cool. This also informs what you think you could do. So what's even possible? Right. And it informs what you think you should do. You know, what is right? And this is, you know, some people are really malleable. Um. Oh, I'm just going to go with whatever the group does, you know, because my identity's tied in this group. But yeah. for people that are a little bit more autonomous, you'll go find your people. Right.
0: Right. And that can be a fairly I mean, if you're only going with what the group says, that can be fairly dangerous. <laughs> you know, Um, there is a strong in- instinct for us to do that because we want to feel like we're part of the group. You know, if I'm if I'm stuck on a desert island and everybody there is a Steelers fan and I'm a fan of the Cleveland Browns, I you know, by golly, I'm gonna be i am I'm gonna be a Steelers fan, you know, <laughs> just to get along with these but, people and to survive, maybe, right? Um, but you know, that, that's part of kind of how we have evolved. Um, but I think it, to your point, you know, it, how we see ourselves helps you understand what you should and should not do, and how what you think is right. And I think you know, if you if you can craft a better image of yourself or, or, or the person, let me put it this way, craft a vision of the person whom you want to become and continually strive toward that, that can be a really productive way to think about yourself.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about work identity and mm. the benefits of a, a more complex identity. We're not going to say better because this is kind of, uh, existential metaphys, you know, this is kind of meta here, yeah. or whatever they say these days. So anyway.
0: Right. So we, we mentioned that if you tie all of your identity into your occupation in terms of what you do for a living, uh, that, that might be okay to some degree. But if you put all of your identity eggs in that one basket, uh, that is rather risky. Because guess what? Your occupation is not something that's permanent. Um, even if you feel very secure in it, someday you're probably going to retire and so forth. But guess what? You know, a lot of people right now have experienced, you know, the the very real um, effects
1: of losing their job, for example. And, yeah, this can... and this may be the second time, Yeah, you know, because we've had, you know, the housing crisis and now we got the COVID crisis here, you know? Mm -hmm. And so if you've grown up with a narrative that I know that's very strong in my family, well, what are you going to do when you grow up? What are you going to do? Oh, well, how will you make money doing that? You know, I'm going to be a, you know, uh, impressionistic painter that goes to the moon. Oh, really? Is that a job? You know, like that, that thing these things exist and you can't lose your job or mm-hmm. your job or a big into IT world, you know, oh, can we automate that? Right. right. So, <laughs> you know, you may have been have a specific role for a whole bunch of years and we're really good at it. And some Yahoo with uh, some lines of code makes it to where that's automated. Right, right.
0: So, you know, having all of if if your entire identity is wrapped up in who in your work and you lose your job or your job just for whatever reason gets you know goes away, that then you are in a tough job, a tough spot, right? that you're you're in a pickle, and um, it's going to be hard to recover from that. Another thing that I've seen is that if your identity is so completely wrapped up in your one role as in terms of your occupation, um, you may start to take your your role so seriously that it can actually be counterproductive, right? You might be overly ambitious. You might um, not be resilient. So if you experience anything that threatens that identity, you may react in a way that is counterproductive. Uh, or any if you have any kind of setback, you may be so you know heartbroken by that that you, you find it very difficult to recover. Um, so this is kind of getting at this idea of having a more
1: complex identity. It can be rather beneficial. Right, so... I want to talk about my time. So I used to be a professional musician in Nashville. Um, and this was such a struggle for all the musicians that were out there. Um, I remember there's this book uh, called, what is it? Effortless Mastery by Kenny Warner, which would help you. So when your identity's tied up in the music you make and how you play, Well, every time you go out to perform is like judge, jury, executioner Mm. for your value as a person. What what if you play crap one night, you know, and, you know, everybody has an off night, bud. And you're like, no, when you're in that zone. And so there's this big kind of self-help psychology movement, at least amongst my peer at that time of like, hey, you are more than the music you make. Mm. But we were all going, well, yeah, but what the heck is that? Because we had spent so many hours just practice. practice. I mean, I'd keep eight, ten hours a day practice when I was in Nashville. And then to go out and not get a gig after an audition, you know, you had all these senses of self. And, you know, I'm convinced that's why drug use um, can be a problem. Other kinds of substance abuse, you know, just drinking too much and all that kind of stuff because your sense of self is crushed on the regs. Oh. But the the only way to get past that, though, <laughs> is to have some kind of self. And this was a rub, right? Yeah. Some kind of self that's not a musician. But your whole reason for being in Nashville and struggling and pushing hard was to be a musician. And and it was a pretty good crucible mm. Um for that kind of stuff, midlife crisis research. Now, some of it's showing, hey, look, it may just be a biological dip for some of us. Mm. But this is where you start to question that. What? Well, what am I? Am I just the nighttime? coffee bookstore manager for the rest of my life or, Mm -hmm. you know, those kinds of things.
0: Right. Well, let me know. I mean, you're older. You're a lot older than I am. So um, let me know when you get there and you can tell me. Yeah. (laughs) Um,
1: So,
0: you know, another thing is that you will eventually retire, most likely. I I mean, there are people who continue working until uh, until they, you know, throw in the final towel. But, um, you know, if if you
1: most of us don't die on the job. Most Like yeah, you mostly. may hit a physical barrier that your body right. just says, oh, we're done. So right.
0: but, you know, eventually you'll probably retire and you will, you know, have to move on and try to figure out your identity in something else. Uh, and, you know, it can be a real struggle, I think, for well, I don't just think I think the, the research is fairly clear on this, that it could be a struggle for people who retire to you know maintain a sense of self-worth and meaning and purpose if their entire working career, decades of, uh, you know, work in a certain occupation was was so central to their identity. Uh, So, you know, having all those eggs in that basket um, can have its downsides. So, you know, I I think another just kind of um, tangential risk here is that, you know, if you're only into your work you just risk becoming kind of a boring person. I think Um, it's going to be hard to have conversations with people outside of your occupation. uh, And you know, that can be a a tricky road to, to go down.
1: Yeah. So the executives that do best that this is anecdotal, what I've observed over lots of years of consulting and being around people who are thriving. um, One they generally know they can go get another job at any time, right? right. So they have they have a highly valued skill set. And that allows them to be super chill when it comes to these exchanges at work. You know, people treat them a little bit carefully because they don't want them to just leave, right? Mm-hmm. But another thing is they have a huge identity outside of work. You know, I I've met these people that, you know, they could retire right now, but they're working. Mm-hmm. And so, you know... They have different hobbies. Yeah, yeah, if this doesn't work, I may just be a ski bum for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, the interesting conversations when you have hobbies and stuff outside of work um, that you care about. Like for me, I you know, I still practice guitar most days. I, I keep getting better. And, you know, when you're sitting around and talking with somebody... Um, You know, I've had interesting conversations about, you know, the struggles of being a musician and playing guitar with other musicians that are now executives while flying on planes all over the place. Hmm. So um, who you are, if you have something besides, you know, hey, what do you do? Well, I'm the nighttime coffee shop library manager. Well, what do you do? Well, yeah, I I do the nighttime coffee library manager. Do you... Nope. Don't watch TV. Just work. Um, Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I think, you know, the idea here is that you can have other types of identities that really start to kind of be a bulwark against uh, the threat of just having, you know, that one identity. Another thing that we've talked about previously in the podcast is uh, this, this whole way of negotiating and navigating, difficult conversations, you know, when we're having a conversation with someone about something that's tricky, it's difficult, it's a conversation you don't really want to have, but it's really important, Um, you know, there's really three conversations that are going on at any given time, and those are kind of the what happened conversation, the feelings conversation, how I felt about that, that situation, and then there's this identity conversation, and the identity conversation is, you know, all right, so we're talking about, you know, this particular issue, Um, But we're also making inferences or we're making or we're implying things about the other person's um, character, right? About their identity, about the degree to which they feel like they are competent or uh, they are worthy of love, right? These really deep things. And it's a lot easier to maintain your balance if you have a complex identity where it's not, you know, because if you go into a conversation or if you go through life just thinking, I always get things done right the first time. I am, you know, this is just, I'm exaggerating for illustrative purposes here. But if you think, I I am a perfect person, guess what? When you screw stuff up, that's going to really mess with you, and you're not going to be able to handle it very well, versus having a more complex identity and thinking, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good at a lot of things. I also make mistakes, right? Or I'm really good at these types of things. I am not so great at these other things, and, you know, I might screw them up. Having that more complex and more realistic identity and way that you view yourself can really help you maintain balance when you're having tough conversations. Uh, You know, having a a kind of all or nothing type view of yourself uh, can be very problematic.
1: Yeah. And so and it's gosh, it's been decades since I've read that Kenny Warner book. But one example he gives is if you're a saxophone player, a piano player, guitar player, and you know, how you play gets kind of tied up in your identity. But if you sit down and you don't play any drums and nobody's around and you pick up the drumstick, you become a kid again. <laughs> you, you can bash on those drums and pretend to be a rock star, or whatever you want to do, or just listen to the sounds, everything that would bring. Cause nobody expects you to play the drums. Yeah. And, and, and your mind is set free. And that's one of the things he talks about It's like, how do you cat, capture that freedom of imagination. It's by dumping the ego tied to what you do. So if you came back to your instrument or your job or whatever you're doing and you have that freedom of exploration because your identity is not tied to that, then then you're able to do like difficult conversations. Oh, man, I really whiffed there. What do I got to do to take the next step? It just sucks that emotional weight out of the room because it's it's just not there Um, having that balanced identity lets you be more resilient yeah you you fail at something there's other parts that you're and that's where you'll see the best leaders have no problem saying ouch we did horribly we got to get a plan to do better and it just doesn't have that emotional weight whereas some people will just crumple in those key conversations right right
0: so, I mean, this is an occupational example, but, you know, I mentioned that I, you know, have kind of these roles that I play as a professor, as a, um, you know, consultant slash co-host of this awesome podcast, uh, and as a, an officer in of the Navy Reserve, I've been doing that for more than 18 years now. And, um, you know, when I fail in one of them, you know, let's say, because then like in academia, when you publish research or try to publish research, you fail a lot. You oftentimes will have um, papers rejected, but at that revise moment, and resubmit.
1: Yeah, well, no, <laughs> but revise
0: and resubmit is good. Rejection is what what hurts. Revise <laughs> and resubmit is usually the best you can hope for. Um, and then uh, you know, but when that happens, I just think, you know what? I'm also the co-host of the top podcast in the world, and so that really helps me to have <laughs> some, some strength in
1: those moments. Yeah. So that, and that brings you up to this idea of, you can take more risks. So when you're emotionally flooded that, and I, I never have a problem with somebody saying, can you define that term? Cause the minute I say emotional flooding, everybody can think to a time where their vision went from very wide to narrow. Right. Um, because somebody said something generally, it challenges their identity. Um, uh, when you have a complex identity, you don't get emotionally flooded. So when you hit to those key crucial times, your vision becomes wide. You mm-hmm. can take more risks. And, you know, people's like, wow, how is he so creative in the business environment? Well, he has a wide view. He's seeing opportunities that other people that are concerned about how people perceive me socially, all those kinds of things that can be a huge problem. That's
0: right. You know, and uh, I think having being able to take those risks, right? Because you, if you, if you're not trying to always have this perfect batting average, you know, it, it can help you. You know, it's funny thinking about batting average because right now, my little seven-year-old son is playing uh, baseball, and uh, he was struggling at the beginning. So right before the season started, I was gone for three weeks doing some work with the Navy, so I didn't have any opportunity to to practice with him. And my wife, she did her best. She tried. Um, to practice with him a number of times. Um, but she was also trying to run the house, right? By with by herself. Um, and so when I got back and he was he was struggling. He, you know, he was striking out every time he went up. And it was just heartbreaking because he was dealing with it okay, but he was just like, you know, I'm not hitting the ball and I'm I'm the worst on the team. It's like, oh man, you're seven, goodness sakes. So <laughs> so we went out and we practiced, <laughs> you know, we went out, we practiced a, a lot. And you know, the thing is is like then anytime he hit it, because he had had, kind of, he wasn't trying to have a perfect batting average, right? He, he was like, I, 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 if he hit it at all, it was like awesome. And um, not having to try to maintain perfection was was really great for him. And, and the way that I have tried to help him define success is, hey, I just want you to go out there. And, you know, I, I helped him with his stance, got him like standing the right way, holding the bat the right way. And some just some fundamentals got that nailed down. And then I said, you know what, I just want you to go out there and I want you to swing as hard as you can at that ball every single time it comes. And so then success was defined as swinging hard at the, at, and having fun versus actually hitting the ball. So he, he could feel successful along the way and still have fun. Um, but it just kind of points to this idea that if we're always trying to be perfect and I am a I was a horrible perfectionist for quite a long time. I've gotten better at it, um, at not being, not being super perfectionist, right? I mean, I would agonize over, like, if I misspelled something in an email to somebody, and I'd be, it was so stupid, right? It's just dumb to, to really beat yourself up about dumb stuff like that. Um,
1: I, I, it's just healthier not to have that sense of yourself. Right. And so this brings me to some research that comes out of this guy named Bowen and gets developed, um for uh, dating and romantic relationship by this guy, Dr. Schnark, S-C-H-N-A-R-C-H. His book, Intimacy and Desire, really good book. Uh, Love that book. But you can have better romantic relationships and friendships um, when these identity issues don't burn you so much. Mm. So you can either be self-validated versus other validated in relationships. So if you're okay with who you are and everything, you're self-validated. Just think how creepy it is when you've got somebody that, that you're dating or with, and they're like, I need you. (laughs) (laughs) I, I can't live without you. Now, if you're a real needy person, right. Then you be like, Oh my gosh, finally, somebody needs me. Mm -hmm. Um, but after you, you know, and they talk call it borrowed functioning, where you're like running a three-legged, you know, race. If you've ever done those three-legged re- relay race where you tie the inside leg to the other person, you know, at first it can feel good if you've been walking completely alone for forever, but you can only go so fast or you can only go so fast set up that way. But if you're. Two people running side by side, it's even better. But you're not attached, that kind of thing.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: if you're, if you're self-validated and okay, and the person that you're friends with or in a romantic relationship is self-validated, it's cool, your relationships become more resilient. But if you're somebody that's like, I need somebody. You you probably have some internal work. And and I don't say that in a judgment. I mean, we could kind of chuckle a little bit about it because we've all been in a place where like, oh, man, this person really super needy right now. But that that need comes from a real place. And if you're somebody that continually struggles with that, I'd recommend getting a, a therapist to help you walk through that kind of stuff, because when you. Are self-validated. You're okay with your identity, who you are. You've gone through those gauntlets of standing on your own two feet. You have a lot more to offer other people, and your relationships can become broader and more resilient.
0: Right. So we've talked about what identity is and why it's important. We've talked about work identity and the benefits of a more complex identity. Now, why don't we move into developing what we call a balanced you, so trying to think through how do you actually go through trying to have that more complex view of yourself, have that more resilient, that that stronger version of your identity, your preferred sense of self, so to speak, uh, to help us
1: navigate what life throws at us. All right, so this is some of, I'm sure there's some stuff around this, but This is kind of my view, Ben, and poke some some holes in this if you think, oh, that's some crappy thinking, because we've actually not (laughs) talked about this outside of prepping for this episode, but it's so important. Um, One of the things that, um, and this came from some of my development uh, as I was studying theology, you know, so you look at some of the things in scriptures and stuff, and it says don't wear mixed fabrics, you know. And then somebody might say, well, you know, that's not really central to the faith per se. So, you know, I think you can wear, you know, a nylon blend if you really felt like it. <laughs> it was water <laughs> wicking. <laughs> so but then it's like, OK, so you're stripping it down, stripping stuff down to the core of your faith or to the core of your person. And and I, psychologists will deal with some of this stuff. Everything else. Is kind of crap. You're valuable just for existing on this planet. Think of any piece of any type of identity. Mm-hmm. If you don't have that identity, are you worthless? No. And so when you build, you know, when you build your house upon the sand or the rock, so to speak, right? If you want to have a stable foundation, as long as you're not out there, murdering a bunch of people and being a total yahoo right you're valuable so Mm -hmm. if if all of society disappears and you come out of a post-apocalyptic bunker right you know that if a tree fell in the woods and nobody saw it and and you're the only person on the planet you're valuable just for being a person like you're just as valuable as any other living thing on this planet and now if you start from that base existentially all this other identity stuff just becomes a wonderful flavor bonus you know Mm -hmm. like you are the chicken everything else is different types of hot sauce right which is great so you're super valuable as a person come starting from that kind of existential place because lots of times you'll navigate life and you'll you'll hit a crisis and generally it's a crisis of identity Mm-hmm. And if you if you say, well, wait a minute, if this if I didn't have this job, am I worthless? No. Right. Um, or, you know, just to keep going on this rant a little bit here, you know, back in the day, there was three jobs. We'll call a butcher, baker, candlestick maker. <laughs> I, I don't see anybody back in those days saying, you know, dad, I'll just never be fulfilled. I wanted to be a dot net developer and the Internet's not going to be invented for another 2000 years yet. it just wasn't, they found identity where they were at with what they were doing. Right. And that, and that was it.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think the central point here that I think you're trying to, that you explained, and I think that the core component of it um, is, is a good one that, you know, there is inherent value of human life and that by your existence, you matter. And if you start with that fundamental supposition, then everything else, as you mentioned, is flavor. And I think it, that, that's a great way to treat other people too, by the way. Um, you know?
1: Nobody looks at an infant that's born. Like, and if anybody, you know, I was, you know, kind of indifferent. You know, I did the birthing classes with my wife and it was kind of bonding. But, but the moment that baby is born, even the doctors who've delivered hundreds of babies are have kind of like tears in this magic there. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, my God, it's this baby. Well, well what the heck has that baby done? <laughs> what, what country club is that baby a part of? Oh, oh, is that baby a manager of the nighttime library coffee shop? <laughs> no, it's just a baby. That's and it's right. one of the most... ah. Gosh, if you haven't seen it and you get the opportunity, yes, witness a live birth. It it's nuts, and (laughs) that that should be the basis by which we view others and ourselves. So, managers who are total jerks, listen up, buddy. The people you manage are valuable. The people you're competing with for a promotion are valuable, and that's that's the lens we got to view the world through. In my view. You know, and I think it can lead if
0: you have, if you're so wrapped up in in you know what you do for a living and in other th- things that you have, it really can lead to some problematic, you know, identity crises, so to speak, later on in life. You know, I'm reminded of. Um, so, the, did you ever watch the movie Fight Club? Yeah. So Fight Club is an interesting movie. Um, it's it's been out for quite a while. It's got Brad Pitt in it. It's it's great. Uh, and I, I actually wrote a long paper about fight club for a film analysis class that I took as an undergrad. Um, so I, I had to watch it a lot and, um, <laughs>
1: did you get it? Did you get it that it was split personalities before the end?
0: Um, well, I watched it so many times. It's hard to say. I, I think I did. Um, but anyway, w- one aspect that I think is relevant here is there's a point, um, kind of, I don't know, two thirds of the way, maybe three quarters of the way through the movie where um, you know, he says Tyler Durden, right? The char- the main character, kind of that one, that one more, um, you know, the, the fighting personality, the Brad Pitt character. He 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 says, you know, you're not your job, you're not the car you drive, you're not your flipping khakis, right? And and it's just, it's just this idea that, that can be really liberating to realize that. Um, and and you know, I, I think they're so. If you read about identity, and you're going to come across a lot as it relates to gender and occupations and those types of things, because that's a salient part of the conversation. Um, and, you know, I, I think that there is a component, at least in today's society, where sometimes this occupational piece can get even more wrapped up into the male psyche, um, or at least in, in certain circles where, you know, kind of the more traditional type of view of what men do and occupations and that kind of thing. But if you're all only wrapped up in that, regardless of your gender, I mean, it's, it's going to be a, a tricky road to go down. So, you know, as you mentioned, strip it down to the, the basic core and, um, you know, seeing the value in, in yourself as a person and in other people for the same reason uh, is very healthy.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, this is the whole thing. So, if you start looking around and just view everybody as infants that are just valuable for being born, it's going to shade some stuff. Now, most Like you were saying, you know, these identities are socially constructed, like pretty much out of thin air. Go read some Judith Butler if you want to go down that rabbit hole. uh, Judith Butler's genius on social construction stuff. But um, there's this idea that people struggle with this because their identity has been built on a as a house of cards.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Oh, well, if this is it and so they get so so bogged down and emotionally flooded when stuff gets threatened that's um right. and it and you know anything think of anything that you do say or are almost all of it can be well people that don't do that are still worthwhile mhm and so that means that's not a good solid place to build your identity so now let's talk about the flavor of life so you've got that core existential You're, you're alive, therefore you're worthwhile. So let's do friendships.
0: Yeah. So I I think having multiple circles of, of friendships and relationships is, can be a healthy thing. Um, Don't have them all be wrapped up, for example, in your work, have uh, those different circles, because that's going to give you a more complex view of, of life. And it also just can be interesting, right. To have these different circles. Another thing is just do things outside of work. Don't make work your only the only thing that you do all day long. Um there are so many great things that that we can do, you know, especially um, you know the United States is particularly um, you know, fertile ground for nonprofit and volunteer type work. that's that can be really awesome, awesome types of uh, um, activity. You can meet interesting people. Uh, You can do work that has purpose and meaning. Um, In addition to that, take up some hobbies. Do, Do something interesting outside of
1: all of these other aspects of your life. Right. So different groups of friends, be selective about those. You know, you got one life, make sure that they're people that align with your values. Now, if you're working multiple jobs and you have a hard time, don't think of, You know, oh, well, I must spend four hours a day on golf or something like that. You know, it could be simple as being involved with the Reddit community or, you know, hugging and taking a few minutes to spend time with somebody you care about during the day or just texting a friend. These kinds of things, you know, watching some trash TV and sharing about it, (laughs) you know, like this could be pretty good. Um These challenges, think about the challenges that threaten your identity. You know, you can turn that around if you have that. I don't know what should we call it? The baby theory. Everybody's valuable because they're just a human. Right. Mm -hmm. So when you run into those challenges that threaten maybe one of these socially constructed identities that in the end is not as valuable as you being a human being. Rather than taking it, taking the hit or avoiding that growth opportunity, you can see those challenges as an opportunity to get to know the real you. Um, Lots of times people will avoid going all out for something like Mm -hmm. their absolute flipping best because they they like to hold on to this thing inside this ego protecting lie that they tell themselves. We've all been guilty of this, probably. But the ego protecting lie is, oh, if I had just really tried hard enough, but I had these other things going on, you know, (laughs) then I could be a, you know, LeBron James, who also wins the sprint in the Olympics, you know, you know, we do those kinds of things. But what if you said, I'm going to give it my all just to find out how far I could go.
0: Mm hmm. You know,
1: like that's like a growth type mindset that that could be really helpful and enhance the kind of, you know, I always say when I'm old, sitting on a porch, right, crapping myself, you know, (laughs) I can't can't do anything else. My mind is going to be filled with the memories of how I spent this life. Mm hmm. So, what do I got to do to first of all make sure it's existentially meaningful, i.e., I'm feeling okay about myself because I deserve to be on this planet because of, I just was born, but that the things I really went for some things. And, you know, I'm probably not the greatest at anything, but I can at least get to know myself and where I stack up. Right. 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 You know, and, and stack I... up's not the right, I mean, that's a comparison, but I could just find out what I could do. Right. Right. You know, I think it's also
0: good to think about some of these problems and benefits of social identity. So if you get if you're totally wrapped up in these different group membership, types of ways of identifying yourself, that can be really positive, right? Um I think about some of the groups that I identify with and you know, the military, the Catholic faith, different social groups, other little um, intersections that I have around uh, around town, el- elsewhere, like those those are, can be really great, um, but there, it can be somewhat problematic if you get so wrapped up in them that, it, you know, you start to see others as outsiders, you start to potentially ostracize people because they're not part of your group, um,
1: so you gotta be careful there as well. Yeah. So you think about how we curate our external self, you know. We you know, you got a personality which is, you know, semi-malleable, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you've got your style and appearance, the car you drive, all that kind of stuff. You're trying to project your identity out to other people, right? Mm-hmm. But then you got your internal self, which a lot of people that I talk to struggle. It's like, you know. I drive the right car, I look good in the Brooks Brothers suit. I this that, but really, I just want to like start a ramen noodle shop and <laughs> and, and wear pajamas all day. <laughs> well, don't it, we all? <laughs> I, well, I mean, I don't know. but so, like, some of these people talk about, you know, they have like your inner self, your values. Um, one of the things I like to think about is your history of action. You know, I say that I'm this. But my history of actions isn't one of integrity. Matter of fact, I've lied and cheated to get to the job that I'm in. Hmm. Ooh, yeah. doing some counseling, you know, coaching with execs that are having that, yeah, that that dissonance. It's like any days that day. you can start being the person you want to be today, right? Yeah, you and know, I so recommend a lot of, doing it. <laughs> yes, the imposter syndrome. Some people are freaking imposters. Let's be honest. <laughs> But then you're like your thoughts and dreams. You know, when we talked about nobody's like, oh, I'm a baker and I just really wanted to be a .NET developer, you know, back in the early 1500s, that wasn't even a possibility. And that's where we talk about our identity being is, you know, what's possible and what is right. Um, These are the kinds of things that inform your internal self values. Now in the workplace, we're starting to bring some of that there and then some people will play political games doing a hybrid of a fake internal values and mm-hmm. you know that, that's that's garbage but if you're looking at yourself and saying you know what do i need to do to its balance so that my psyche doesn't fall apart at you know during my life you know having some consistency there's gonna be important that outside style and appearance well sometimes you got to play the game you know mm-hmm. if the, if the Office you work at, every if the office you work at, everybody needs a tie. Well, you better put on a daggone tie. But if you have a solid sense of self, whether you're wearing a tie or not doesn't really matter. That internal value uh, that you have, the internal values that you develop, that you think about, don't just let these things happen to you accidentally. Your history of your actions, if you've been an unscrupulous numbskull up to date, Start building confidence. You'll build self-value just by developing a history of living, living your values. And then also your thoughts and dreams, um, allowing yourself to push for those things that are not yet. Right, right. You know, it's also important, uh, this is part of the
0: identity conversation, but it also goes beyond, you know, there are some wonderful social rewards that come from volunteering and charity types of work. You know, you actually um, get get a lot of psychological benefit from doing good for others. And, you know, that's a great place to start. If if you're struggling with these types of um, ideas and these types of issues, um, you know, if you can find a place where you can add some value and help other people, that can be a, a really nice way to start to build a um, an identity that you're proud of and start working toward that ideal of whom, who you want to become.
1: Right. And so just kind of a final thought to think about here is when stuff happens, you get laid off your job or a whole bunch of stuff, or you just realize, you know, you're worth 20 million bucks, but you have no values or a history of actions lining up with what you want to be. Anytime you have this place where yourself gets super challenged, it's time to do some reboot work here. Um, And I saw this on projects where you'd have people that travel all the time that weren't used to traveling. So they get out on the road. They go from always being in one place, one, you know, group of people, you know, at home type thing and doing some work to out on the road and they would fall apart. They had no uh, social group that they could get their value from. They didn't have any activities in which gave them structure and all this stuff. And a lot of these guys would just come and girls and and, well, a lot of these people would just come unglued. So if you need a reboot, if you are taking this to heart and saying, ah, you know, I've really tied my identity to things that aren't so solid. The only solid thing being I'm a breathing human on this planet, right? you know, I've, I've built my life on the flavor, not the core. Then one of the things you need to do is just stop for a moment. You mm-hmm. need to reflect and but you can't think your way out of this. So one of the things that's really helpful during this time is to develop some control over certain areas of your life. Mm-hmm. And this is versus feeling out of control. Oh, every, I'm out of whack. I have the wrong values. So things you can do is start to develop a bit of a structure. Yeah, are you concerned with not having a history of action that live up to your value? Well, you may decide to wake up and, you know, do some personal development reading at the same time of day. Some people really get value from working out at the same time of day. There are locusts, and Victor Frankl's uh, "Man's Search for Meaning." He talks about some of these things that you can do, right? That you know, in a Nazi concentration camp. They were still able to find something inside that they could have a little bit of control of, even though most things in their life were not in control. Find some of those areas of control, right? Practice Mm -hmm. those. And from that place, you can start to contemplate those things as, you know, who do I want to be? What types, you know, am I hanging around the wrong kind of people that are not the people I should be hanging out with? That could be a good base so you can feel okay as you deconstruct and possibly reconstruct your identity.
0: Excellent. So today was a little bit different. We talked about that beyond piece of human flourishing, beyond what you do, and about developing this identity outside of work and how important that is. Because work is only you know part of what you do or who you are. And there are some real benefits to a more complex identity, as we've discussed. And then we wrapped up by talking about some ways in which all of us can work towards developing a more balanced view of yourself. Thanks for listening to the Indigo Podcast. If you like this podcast, please consider helping us by rating us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, telling your friends about us, having us on your podcast, or mentioning us on social media. Our website is www.indigopodcast.com, where you can access more information about us and this episode. Thanks again, and we look forward to talking with you again soon.